0: A special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it? J K. You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Bray, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandos. All right, another
1: edition of the old pod, Jay and Keith. Uh, he's colder than I am, wearing gloves inside the studio. We'll see if he'll be able to survive. You, you all right? I'm fine. You yeah. Okay. I'm fine. Okay.
0: What are you talking about? Yeah.
1: Puberty's one thing too. Huh? Yeah, right. It happens. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, yeah. so there's a lot to talk about. So uh,
1: obviously, with basketball season, we got to talk basketball. But the football world
0: just keeps giving us stuff. Like as the football world turns, I wish you had one of those. I have, we have one of those uh, in Fargo, our, our, our voiceover guy, Jeff Lawrence. I don't know if you ever heard of Jeff. Um, sometimes he is a non-attorney spokesperson. Uh, he does a lot of ads, uh, and the dude has like three houses, including a, a ranch in Newfoundland. Like the, he's, he makes a ton of money as a VO guy. But he did one for us uh, as the college football world turns, which was over the as the world turns mm. theme. Which, when we put this on YouTube with the FCS Fan Station people, I think we we'll probably get it, get it demonetized and get them in trouble. So let's not do that. Agre- but agree. we, we got to have yeah. something. We need to have something. Because it just keeps going and going and going and going.
1: Yeah, that's the – I mean, just at, at all levels. I mean, it wasn't just the news of obviously Nick Saban and then, okay, that's going to start a domino effect. Well, who's going to get that job? Who's interested? Then all of a sudden you saw – Gets and he moves from Washington, then who's going to fill that job? And now there's – tra- and then other standing head coaches then join the staff of Alabama,
0: and yes. so those are head
1: coaching uh, things.
0: Th- think about the openings, and, and I really think this speaks volumes to the legacy that Saban left and also to the attractiveness of Alabama. The openings that the Alabama job has created, in addition to Saban's retirement, Washington, Arizona, San Jose State, which is currently open um, because Arizona filled with Brent Brennan and Washington, of course, filled with Jed Fish. Um, South Alabama, because Kane Womack is now the D.C. in Tuscaloosa, and uh, Buffalo. It's just five other FBS jobs opened up because Nick Saban retired. So it's what, uh, it's 131 te- 132 teams now in FBS? Let's call it 130. Six out of 130. F- 4.6% of all FBS head coaching jobs opened when Nick Saban retired. Just one guy. And that's a ripple effect. Right. And so then, you know, even on the FCS level and the Southern Commerce
1: specifically, right, we had the, the late uh, news that, of course, Mercer lost its head. Man, Drew Cronick, the offense coordinator, At Mercer something, and Mercer had to fill a gap.
0: What did I say? He said he was the offensive coordinator at Mercer.
1: Oh, head coach at Mercer going to, you're right, the offensive coordinator. Yes.
0: At Navy. Um, And can I say, um, hats off to a great dude. Jake Guillermo is now the O-line coach at Navy, who was the offensive line coach for ETSU in the 2023 season. He was going to go to – obviously the whole staff got let go here. He was going to go to Mercer. Chronic goes to Navy. He takes Guillermo with him, and uh, now he and his wife and their daughter get to uh, they get to hang out in one of the one uh, of uh, my favorite towns. I love Annapolis. I think it's cool. Um, the campus is gorgeous. Uh, it's it's awesome, and they're going to love Jay. I think he's going to do a really good job there. But, I mean, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, if you're nestled in the mountains of upstate New York, I guess that's that's got its own appeal. It's a very special place. But I haven't been to West Point, and I have been to Annapolis, and I loved Annapolis. Well, I hope he,
1: I hope he wins uh, most of his games. Uh,
0: <laughs> except the last one.
1: That's, that's except the last one. Deli-
0: <laughs> ah, uh, and Mercer, we'll, we'll get into it in a little bit, but uh, Mercer uh, has already made a hire. They made a hire this morning as we take this podcast on Thursday, January 18th which is the day after ETSU men's basketball at Wofford. And I don't know if I need to say any more than that, but I will. Uh, the Bucs uh, up late. Wofford comes back, throws a pretty spectacular last-ditch effort at ETSU. Bucks have chances to seal the deal, and they keep it close, and they keep it in a position where they can win it with one shot. And I guess still could have won it with one shot right at the end, but – they ultimately come up short, seventy-five, seventy-three. It's UTSU's fourth straight loss.
1: And I thought a good decision late. I thought, you know, they were they being Wofford kind of selling out for the three. Uh, Peterson, OQ had a, you know, head and shoulder by a big man, and you like to think he's going to win that battle every time. But give credit, um, you know, because making up a lot of ground and swatting the basketball away. He did not have the best hair on the team, Chase Martin. I couldn't tell. Let me ask you this, and then I'll get back into it. Do you, I don't know if you saw any of the highlights of the game. Was Chase Martin trying to land the part in Joe Dirt or the new Red Dawn movie? I couldn't tell. <laughs> because. But it was spectacular, and since we've talked about this at length, I do not have uh, hair whatsoever and have it, So I am kind of like, you know, I do poke fun in a way, but also it's like a secret jealousy that I just can't.
0: It uh, just kind of like frizzes out, right? Oh, my but, gosh. Yeah. And, and it was the headband,
1: and it was like the mullet coming out of the back with the hair that yeah, stood uh, high, almost like, you know, like an aerosol
0: can. He, he He's the lead Red Dawn 3. Uh, that's what I would see. That's where I went first. And I, it, I, I actually thought about Red Dawn this morning, just a random one-off. I don't know why I even thought of it. But I was like, yeah, the you know, the first one was kind of okay, and it, you know, it it kind of uh, fed into or fed off of, you know, a common fear in America of war with the Soviets. But the, 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 the one that they made like three or four years ago is terrible. It's so bad. Yeah. Not a fan. No.
1: Uh, color, um, Philowich was who I was drawing a blank of. So Philowich was able to make up a lot of ground and block the shot. Ultimately saved the game. Uh, for the Terriers, and if I would have picked any guy on the court to give a step to Peterson and be able to make it up and block a shot, he would not have been the guy to do it. But sometimes adrenaline, sometimes it's all about championship plays. And I think that's, you know, and each issue's played in some tight games, but you're talking about five games consecutively for Wofford, four or less. They are four and one in those. That's now, their are four wins a combined six points. This is their second two-point win. They've had a couple one-point wins. Their one loss was a four-point loss. But ETSU, and I think Brooks Savage, very honest in the postgame, um, losing plays. There were plays that you can't make if you're trying to win. Some of those were missed free throws, and you can insert three or four different players down the stretch that missed free throws. There was the six-point possession. That is hard to do. You, I don't know. I have been – only many games where ETSU has been up four, unfortunately, and foul the jump shooter shooting the three and give up a four-point play. One year I kept a running total. There were seven of them in the same year. I don't think it's been touched since. But it just seems like there's a knack flip. But you foul, there's a three, you don't block out. They get a rebound, they kick out another three. I mean, to go up four, which we thought was huge at that point in time in the game, me and Kevin Brown, uh, courts uh, talking about, hey, arts two possessions. You know, unless something crazy happens, which we did say, something crazy happens, then – you know, you're going to still be in the lead. Worst case, you're tied. No, it never dawned on me that worst case, you could be down two. It right. just never dawned on me. And then I think, you know, then ETSU gets fouled and both those free throws. I mean, it just, yeah. there were opportunities. Um, I thought, for the most part, ETSU very efficient offensively. Only one or two shots where I thought, eh, you know, where like the Western game, it was like 15 of those shots where I'm like, oof. That seems a bit early in the shot clock or whatever. So I thought offensively, ETSU had great output even from the bench. Seven different guys hit a three in the game. I mean, there were a lot of, lot of things to look at. Got to the free throw line more, I believe, than um, uh, Wofford. You know, only hit one more yes. free throw, but had more attempts. So you look yep. at it that way. Rebounding, they're starting to get better without Karan Boyd. You know, uh, I think more offensive rebounds may have tied in the overall. Six turnovers. You know, you look at was it 14, 12, whatever assists. Um, I mean, I, those numbers are, you know, and defensively, I thought they did a great job of not letting anybody really. I mean, there was there were some one offs where hey, don't leave this guy in the corner, and the left guy in the corner, and I think that happens in every. I, I think it's almost. I mean, you could play perfect game where that doesn't happen, but there wasn't a ton of blown assignments. But I will say, when there were blown assignments, Wofford, I don't think missed maybe once. But when there was a blown assignment, Wofford did a great job of knocking those shots down. But, you know, it's a situation where ETSU clearly has been in some tight games and been able to win those as of late. Wofford has played tight games more recently and won those and continues to win. And so Wofford's sitting pretty at 4-1 right now.
0: What does it mean to learn how to win? Does that mean like, define, define that. What, what are the things that you have to do to win? Because when you talk about learning how to win, you're talking about closing out tight games. You need to hit your free throws. You need to be sound on defense. And you need to be successful on the glass. And ETSU was none of those things in the last two and a half minutes of that basketball game. And that's why they lost the game. It's execution. It's execution on... Defensive rebounding on free throws, not allowing teams to get extended possessions. It's um, it's positional defense, like you're talking about. Just don't don't lose your guy. Don't you know, uh, or or don't bungle a pick and roll where one guy goes one way and the other guy doesn't go back to his man, and suddenly there's somebody open. It's just there's so many little things that go into winning basketball games, and some of them are obvious and they show up on the box score, and some of them are not, and they only show up when you turn on the tape. And this team seems to be finding all of those little things that you can trip over to cost you a game late, and they're they're going from one little divot in the pavement to a sinkhole the size of Belize under the feet of this team. Because that's four straight now. It's going to be really challenging to dig out of this hole. I mean, I, I've talked to people that are already anxious about playing on Friday night in Nashville. It's early for that. It's five games into the SOCON schedule. But at the same time, you've got a lot of work to do to get yourself back into this thing. And can they do it? I think they've got the talent. Um, I think missing Karan Boyd is significant. And the significance of that injury is not something I've gotten anything concrete on, but at the same time, it sounded like uh, it was not good. So uh, I'm not super optimistic that this team is going to have a real opportunity to figure things out with KB in the lineup. They're going to have to do it without him, uh, and and if he comes back in the near future, hey, great. But um, overall, this team's just got to execute they got to execute the little stuff. And if they do that, then they win this game, and they snap that skid, and you're thinking, all right, we're going into chat with some momentum. And now you're going into chat with your packs against the wall. I guess you can spin it that way too, but I, I would rather have the win going into Chattanooga, feeling a little bit better about myself, than needing to beat Chattanooga at home. to Just, just to get back in the SoCon fight. The mocks are what they're two and two, three and two?
1: Mocks are three and two. Three and two. Furman's three and two.
0: And they're gonna they're gonna round into four. I think this is a four team SOCON race. I don't know that ETSU and Chattanooga. I think I mean they could get hot and go on a run, but I, I think it's gonna be down to Sanford, Western, UNCG, and Furman. If Furman can stay healthy. Well, and they did get uh, Foster back last night.
1: I think he had a double double. So uh, look out, you know, look out. And VMI gave up another hundred plus on the board again. Um, so it on VMI, at zero five. Mercer, TSU, one and four. And then there's already a two game gap between, you know, the top six seeds and the bottom four because Chattanooga Furmans each at three and two. And then you got Sanford sitting all alone at 5 and 0 with the big win over Western Carolina. West Carolina, UNCG, Wofford all at 4
0: and 1. So, uh, is, is Sanford the best team? Because it felt like last year, about this time, we were talking about Sanford saying, wow, there's a lot of talent there You know, with Glover and, and the whole guard group that they had. And I think Jermaine Marshall was coming off the bench. And you're like, wow, that's good. And Ajora Ajora was. I mean, the guy that dropped, whatever, 36 on Western Carolina on Tuesday, he wasn't as much of a factor in that in that lineup. Now, he was in the rotation, and he played steady minutes, but he wasn't a guy that you looked at and go, this is the X factor. But this year, he has been the X factor, and then something's like the X squared factor for Sanford. He's been spectacular, and he knocked out a ton of shots and a ton of threes in Collowee. And they're doing this with,
1: and Marshall's hurt. They're doing this without Marshall being on the the floor. So the the short answer was, I kind of felt like Sanford had an edge on Western just because they have a little bit more post presence going into that game. None of that changed. Obviously, no one saw, I believe, no one saw Chor Chor going absolutely bonkers um, the way that he did. And you know, they Western dared him to hit threes, and he did. And I think if that continues, then. You know, and I think that's one of the things, though. If you talk to Justin Gray and you say, "Hey, pick what you want to do defensively," and if they hit him and you beat you, you just shrug your shoulders and go, "They're better than me that day." My guess would be, well, a let's, let's make it short. Sure take twenty-seven footers. Yeah. Right, and you know, and it worked out at that point for Sanford. But yes, I think you know, it does have a little bit of that feel last year where you felt like Sanford was the best team, and then all of a sudden they had the weird non-conference loss. To the NIA school. UT Southern. And and then they, they dropped a couple a last of games. turn up. And then, so, it, it you know, it's interesting. But they they got a lot of depth. Uh, Marshall's only played nine games. And I do not know his injury. But if he comes back, that certainly gives him, a, you know, a, a critical piece. A guy that was predicted all league. Uh, a guy that we thought was probably at, shafted on the first team last year. So,
0: yeah, it's a, I mean, the
1: standings are interesting. I, I think Wofford's one of those you can, you can talk away, you know, if you played the who, who didn't belong up there, you could. I, I guess you could talk away Wofford because their four wins are the four teams in the bottom of the standings, ETSU, Mercer, Citadel, VMI. Mm-hmm. And so their schedule gets tougher where I guess you could say, you know, ETSU and Mercer, the thing's going for them as they get a chance to – to play the Citadel and VMI coming up, and yes. maybe they can stack some wins as, as a team like, you know, again, ETSU can knock off the chat and do some more. But for ETSU, I mean, lose four in a row, you got chat, you got Sanford around the corner. Uh, I mean, it's, you yeah, know, got some work to Although they do get Citadel and VMI, you still got a little bit of, of work to do here uh, in progress. And not that far off, but they got to figure it out quickly.
0: It's a SOCON for you. You're swimming with Sharks
1: all right i'm
0: very unfamiliar with the bumpers you are that shows i've already seen i, I kind of wanted them to be like the fade up things but then i didn't do that so game, game and hot baby It just works it just works or it doesn't however it works uh, let's start women's basketball with socon and that picture and etsu and Chattanooga will go at it for first place in the Southern Conference on Saturday afternoon at the Roundhouse. After ETSU got off to a 2-0 start with wins over. You good? <laughs> I thought it was over. It's not over. It's over now. It's over now. Win- wins this over. Is, see, I know I should have said on that. So. Wins over Sanford and Mercer in the opening weekend. There are three 2-0 teams. In the SoCon, Chattanooga, ETSU, and UNCG, which looked like the three best teams in the SoCon after non-conference play, so no surprise those three teams took care of business. Yeah, i
1: still still think it's a two-team race for obvious reasons. Uh, UNCG, every time I think, well, maybe not. They just they, they turn out some dubs, and you know, I think that's the one thing about them. It's it's almost like Every time they have expectations, they being UNCG on the women's side, they just kind of stumble and falter. And then after a couple years of no expectations, they churn out a 20-plus win season, and Trina Patterson's got them battling for Southern Conference Championship. And I don't know why that is, but it just it feels that way, that about every second, third year, you know, Trina Patterson can get them going in the right direction. And then there's like a year where it's like, you know they had injury a couple of years ago. Now they did. They had two or three injuries that just kind of stacked up on them. And I don't think that's her fault. Just one of those deals. But they certainly have been very good this Jay year. No, Jake Gamble has been um,
0: a revelation for them. You know, The UNC Wilmington transfer is top five in the SoCon in scoring. She's been really, really good. Not surprised to see Isis Grady's name, high on scoring charts as well. Uh, that's a team that has just played really good defense, though. There, there haven't been. A lot of teams in the SoCon with a true answer for Kalise Kane in the post. And so she's able to get rebounds basically whenever she wants them. Uh, she's at one of the four players in the league averaging a block shot a game. Uh, and defensively, they seem a lot more solid than they were last year. I think that's the big difference with this UNCG team versus – last year's UNCG team, and that's why they're going to be in the fight near the end of the season. I I think they've still got a shot uh, because they're... ETSU, I don't know where where ETSU is now in scoring defense, but uh, uh, UNCG's 10th in the country. 52.7 points per game. And they held Furman to 55. They held Wofford to 58. um, So those are... yeah, ETSU's 13th, right behind them, basically. So... That team has played really good defense. I think they've got key players in good spots. I don't know how much depth they really have. That could be the question. If they can stay healthy, if they can avoid major injuries, this could be a good basketball team. You could say that about a lot of teams. You could also say that a team that doesn't have either of its two primary ball handlers probably shouldn't win its first two conference games. But ETSU did that. They beat Sanford, and then they beat Mercer without Kendall Foley and without J. Cotton. They had nave Brown bringing the ball up the floor primarily against Sanford. Against Mercer, it was Brown and Moore, uh, Courtney Moore, and then Brown got hurt, and Moore had to do it, and Moore had a tough time doing it, but kept the Bucks just, did just enough. And the Bucs were so efficient offensively that they were able to get everything that they needed to win the basketball game. So that – there's, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens at this level. And okay. It's, it's going to keep happening. So I, I would not put it past UNCG to make a run. I was going to say
1: also the, the next man up mentality because Breckin Snotherly has been absolutely Snotherly is
0: it? you were waiting for it, right? We were all waiting for it. Here's a prized recruit, 30 a game as a senior at Eastern Randolph High School, leads the state of North Carolina in scoring in 22-23. She comes in. See some flashes. She can get to the rim a little bit. She's decent off the catch. Uh, to, just attacking. But you're saying, all right, where where is the where's the turning point? When is it gonna go? Because she's clearly working hard, but it's not turning into points. And then against Coker, when uh, Jalea got hurt, and had to come out. They, we saw a little bit more of Snotherly, especially in the second half. She got to double figures for the first time. And then that just seemed to be the aha moment she needed because she went off against Sanford. She had 10 in the first half, finished with 15. She had 13 against Mercer. And you hit some big shots early in that game when the Bears got it out to double digits. You think about that. Mercer led that game by 11, 12 points at one point in the first half. And you're thinking – well, no point guards is finally going to catch up to ETSU. This is going to get away from them then the make gets hurt uh, where the uh, player, I think it was uh, Keontae Downs, I think it was, stepped on her foot. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's bad. And, and this is finally going to catch up with ETSU. And then the Bucks go on an 18-2 to run to end the half. And they take the lead into halftime. And you're like, well, okay, maybe not. they just ride that roller coaster. But Snotherly has been a major factor for ETSU. Another player I've seen a lot of maturation from the last couple of games in particular is Megan Downing who seems to be turning a little bit of a corner. She's putting the work in. She's been putting the work in. She's been putting the work in through injuries. You know, she had a partially torn labrum in her hip. I think she she talked about that. Last year she was basically playing on one and a half legs, but the team needed her when uh, River Rufus Milner went down with the ACL tear against Sanford. Somebody had to back up Ja'Kia Davis. And then she was dealing with another injury in the summer that limited her ability to be involved in summer workouts. But now she's starting to feel better. Her body's starting to cooperate. And I think you're seeing a player that maybe isn't going to be, you know, an elite jump out of the gym athlete or uh, anything like that, but can just be a solid player that can give you 10 to 12 minutes off the bench. And maybe 15, and I think she played significantly more than that against Mercer because Jocaya Davis got hurt. You're looking at a really important piece of this team that has started to take a step forward, and I think you're also seeing Brenda Mox Brown, Brenda Mo Brown's vision for this program come together because everybody, whether it's Downing, whether it's Snotherly, whether it's uh, Journey McDaniel, who started 0 for 6 against Sanford back less than 36 hours after an injury and found meaningful ways to contribute to that win with rebounding with a shot blocking so many other things everybody contributes something to this team's wins and when you do that you greatly increase your chances of winning a lot of basketball games
1: well winning's gonna be a little tough Saturday uh, Chattanooga so similar to ETSU, I mean you look at you mentioned Grangewall's giving up fifty-two points a game. ETSU's giving up fifty-three points a game. Chattanooga's giving up fifty-four points a game. The biggest difference though, Chattanooga can score it pretty easily. they as a team for the season, they are shooting forty six percent from the field. ETSU's under forty yep. percent. Their top couple players, Jada Gwynn, Raymond yep. Thompson, they're both shooting over fifty percent. Hannah Korn is shooting Fifty-one percent from the field and fifty percent from beyond the arc, and she's taken seventy-six attempts. Yeah. So there's an inside-out. Those, the, 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 those are the three that make them go, no doubt. Matter of fact, Gwen and Thompson each went for twenty last time out, and Corn was knocking on the door like sixteen or something. So. Well, you remember Yaswazira
0: Dean was their big scoring option last year, and she was a really, really good shooter, but she didn't. wasn't necessarily the the facilitator, the playmaker, that Jada Gwynn is. Gwynn has unlocked something in their offense and just made them way more efficient in general with the possessions that they do get. And they play. They don't play very fast. Um, But it's no surprise that the player who was the OVC tournament MVP shows up in Chattanooga and delivers in a big way for them with an immediate impact. And that's what makes this team so good is Sean Poppy has now used the transfer portal in consecutive seasons to go get a star that can give his team buckets when they need it. But I think Gwynn is on another level compared to Dean a, a season ago. Um, they don't maybe necessarily, I don't think have the same size in the post that they did last season uh, because they graduated their, their primary big that had been there for a million years, uh, but at the same time, Raven Thompson is all you need on the interior. She is just an absolute terror uh, and she has the ability to slip past any defender uh, and does basically whatever she wants uh, a lot of times. And did, she? That's what she did against DTSU. She did whatever she wanted against the Bucs in the SoCon tournament last year. And that at an ETSU getting blown out in a game where they really feel like they did not put on their best performance. Abby Cornelius was the player I was thinking of, the graduate. And, um, she's not there anymore, but I don't know how much you really need that size when you've got a player that can just score at will. You've got really two players that can score at will, but one on, on the inside that can score at will the way that Raven Thompson can at five foot ten. That'll be 2 o'clock.
1: Keith will be with the women.
0: And yes. i that. Uh, traveling Saturday. down there uh, hoping to celebrate my 34th birthday with a win at the roundhouse. There's not a better way to celebrate a birthday than a win at the roundhouse. No. Uh, that will never happened for me. Yeah, it's it's right up there. Well, yeah, because you were born in the summer, right? April, but April.
1: No. Still, uh, not, still not getting a game in the roundhouse.
0: No. I was going to say, you, you probably celebrate your birthday with, like, a nice steak and a glass of some dark beverage of some well, distillation. Uh, yes, the the
1: best birthday story I got my 40th birthday. Okay. Okay, you ready? I celebrated on the 7th green at the Masters on Saturday. Because I actually won the random draw, which nice. like, nobody ever wins and I got two actually won the random draw. First time I ever put my name in, so everyone's horse cussed me because everybody's been putting it in for like 20 years never gets it. <laughs> and actually got two tickets on Saturday, which was actual April 8th, my birthday. And I was actually uh, – Chris Timmerman, former ETSU player, big on Twitter, uh, yeah. supporter of the Bucks. actually gave me some tips on like – him and his family have gone every year. They're kind of grandfathered in the tickets. So he had kind of given me the, hey, you, if you've never been, here's where I need to go to see the best action, set up a chair, all that. So – uh, it was great. I was ready for Rory to uh, walk right by me so I could yell something about Fred Warren. But then he double bogeyed and I thought better of it, so, no, uh, so no. I did not did not uh, did not do that. Ernie Els literally stepped over me because he's a large man and uh, he also had a large number. And instead of walking the path you're supposed to do, he literally just cut through the crowd. And there is a Georgia State trooper with every one of the groups. And to say that whenever guys cut through the crowd, the troopers lose their mind as as if golf crowds are Ruckus and going to like tackle these guys yeah, or whatever. Right. Like it, yeah. it is amazing to watch these troopers in full gear, you know, uh, trying to hurdle stuff and go one way or another. But uh, that was the best birthday story I got. 40th
0: birthday, but I will trade it
1: for a win in the roundhouse if I could. Yeah,
0: I don't blame you. That's a that's a good one though. My, my best birthday story is, um, I think I, I did a UConn women's basketball game and they won by like 60. Then I went home and drank an entire bottle of Merlot and watched Star Trek 4. And that was just a was nice... it a cat? Nice. No, just me. Okay. This was pre-cat. Just a nice, quiet night in, doing the things I loved. Covering basketball, covering lopsided basketball wins, drinking a little bit of vino, and watching Star Trek. And Star Trek 4 is my favorite one. Wrath of Khan is probably like the, the best one. But 4 is my favorite. I love it so much. It's like a big Star Trek episode. There's no real bad guy. Uh, the antagonist is ecological disaster. I, I just, I don't know. I thought it was thought it was good. It gave all of the characters chances to be heroes. I, I loved it. You will never guess what I love to watch. Uh, Southland Conference football. Or the portal? I mean, kind of one and the same these days, isn't it? But this isn't your
1: normal portal watch. This is a coach portal watch. <laughs> coach portal, yeah. We, uh, we kind of started because, as you mentioned earlier, as we came on the air, there was coaching news in the Southern on the Conference. Air like it's live radio. True. The true. habits never die. They don't. They never die. But Mercer did go back to the well, sort of. They went back to Lenore Ron. We had speculated on this when it broke that Mike Jacobs' name would probably be in the mix. Um, percolate. And it certainly did to the point where they said, you know what, the last guy from Lenore Ron did an excellent job. And so we're going to do that as well and bring on Mike Jacobs. So Mike Jacobs, the new head coach, of the Mercer Bears. Third.
0: Lenore Ryan head coach to be hired into a SOCON program as his ex-job. Do you know who the other two were? You just mentioned one of them.
1: Oh, Drew oh, Chronic. Yes. And the other one would have been... Let me think. I'm trying to do the math on coaches. Uh,
0: What's a team that's typically not very good but was very good for a short walking period time. time? No. Dang it. Mike Houston. Oh, center right. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, mm. no, I, Mike Houston was very successful in that little Orion as well. Yeah, well, he's a West North Carolina guy.
1: Coached at AC Reynolds High School, and uh, yeah. I can go the way back there. Matter of fact, AC yeah. Reynolds was in the same conference with me and Brenda Mock Brown, the East Sun Eagles, and yeah. Tuscola. And, I mean, you're you're riveted by this. And uh, Gary uh, Ayers called your games. Call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the Hall of Famer, if you will. The Hall of Famer, Gary Ayers. He did not bring the gold jacket.
0: I yelled at him. for. Like, I was like, you really got to learn the jacket. Make him bring it to the tournament. We, we need to bully him into bringing it to the tournament. Come on, dude. When you get that, you got to wear it. Oh, you know I will if, uh, whenever that comes. Yes. So. Whenever, whenever uh, you get inducted into the ETSU. Well, and, and let me say this.
1: Uh, the The last couple guys similar – to my type field that they've inducted. They also retired him at the same time, so I'm hoping that doesn't happen for a long time. Every time Mark Cussell's like, hey, we should put you out," I was like, no, no, no. Every time they do that, it's like, hey, buddy, they, this is kind of your your nice way of, hey, you need to do something else. So I don't want to do that anytime soon because of the feeling that um, you or somebody else has ushered me out. <laughs> Whoever it is. No. The power to be. But... All right, do we have any other uh, – well, we talked to FBS coaches. We talked to FCS coaches. There's still um, a lot of chatter. Uh, Portal watch for teams, right? Because what is um, the NEC uh, – what? Uh, who are the two teams? It is – Merrimack and uh, Sacred Heart. Yes, uh, leaving the NEC to – They're teach, the, Mac. the MAG, The double the AA Mac. Yes, um, Mac. But the question is, they still haven't announced where or what they're going to do for right. football. And so that's sort of the biggest question mark. And then, of course, West Georgia uh, making its transition year uh, going in. To the UAC. So uh, I, was, I should print it out, and I had it up on my screen earlier, the list
0: of teams in the conferences now.
1: Uh, do you have that? Do you have that? Yes, I have it. I need
0: it. I have it. I also have, I have, I have the Sam Herter uh, list, and then I also have a spreadsheet that has all this information. In it. But uh, the new teams that are – actually I'm I like to mess around in there. Uh, The new teams in new places. Bryant is migrating to the CAA for football only Mm -hmm. uh, because they are joining America East. Uh, The other migrations, uh, Chicago State is joining the NEC, which is not a football membership, but it could in the future sponsor football. Chicago State has explored that. Uh, Robert Morris is returning to the NEC. So the NEC, with the departures of Sacred Heart and Merrimack, will still have seven. St. Francis, Central Connecticut State, LIU, Stonehill, Wagner, Duquesne, and Bobby Moe. Murray State was last year. And and Bobby Moe's moving from the Big South back, right? Yes. And West Georgia, of course, is moving up from the Gulf South Conference in Division II, which is now going to be under the required number of teams for an automatic bid to the Division II playoffs, I believe. I think you have to have six, and they're going to have five, and there's not really a tailor-made replacement for uh, West Georgia. So I would maybe keep an eye on West Florida. Does Valdosta State finally bite the bullet and say, you know what, it's time for us to move up? Maybe. Maybe. Alabama, I think, has kicked tires on it, but those would be the three that I'd have my eye on in that conference about reclassification Uh, because they're all medium to large public schools, reasonable resources, and they have a conference that wants them. The UAC will take all comers, but yeah, those those are the big moves. Uh, Obviously, Delaware is leaving the CAA to go to Conference USA, but they will play one more season of football. In the CAA, as a member that is ineligible for the postseason, I believe. I don't think they're going to play. I think they're playing a CAA schedule. They're not playing the independent schedule where you know, like Kennesaw State did, where they left the conference, and the conference said we don't want you here. And uh, Delaware is going to play a CAA schedule. Those are the those are the moves. Um, as far as additional speculated moves, there hasn't been a whole lot. I mean, we heard some rumblings when the whole Delaware move went down, there's always a little bit of a ripple effect. I heard some rumblings. I'm sure you had to about other CAA schools, potentially on the move. A number of conferences have kicked tires. I know the Patriot league has expressed, uh, some measure of interest in some CAA members, uh, including at one point a couple of years ago, William and Mary, I don't know how, how hot that particular fire is. Uh, the a sun and of course the a 10, um, because that's starting to roll around a little bit. The College of Charleston may be on the move to another destination, and that destination could be the Atlantic 10. So that's really where I think the next phase of realignment comes to, to the fore. Oh, Western Illinois. forgot about Western Illinois. They are joining the OVC as a full member with uh, football going in as well. So they've, they're already playing their Olympic sports there, but football joins the – OVC this year, and the only yeah. FBS move
1: up was Kennesaw State, right? Kennesaw State's transition is complete. Yep, so they're out of there. Not, not that weird independent deal they got going on, uh, where they only played nine
0: games and lost. Uh, oh, like all of two of many of them. Yeah. Uh,
1: so the a couple. So Harvard's uh, Tim Murphy just retired, right? So that's a co- yep. Still opening job there. Florida. Four Florida AM. yep, open. Yep, haven't filled that. I think that's all. I think everybody else says. Uh, sounds yeah. right. Morehead State
0: filled a week and a, about a week and a half ago. I think they filled. It, they filled after the new year. Um, Grambling, I believe, is filled after they fired. Hugh yes, Jackson. Morehead State
1: so got Fairmont State's coach Jason Woodman. You're yes, correct. yes. Murray State is open. Or are they? No, no, no. They hired. Uh, Jody Wright. What's his name from South Carolina? Yeah. Jody Wright.
0: I think the SoCon went two for two on hires this cycle. Mike Jacobs was a guy that was on my radar for the ETSU job. uh, Trey Lamb was my number one choice. I I made no bones about that. I said that before he got hired. Trey Lamb was my number one choice. But Mike Jacobs was on that list of guys. When you start to think about, hey, who would be a good fit here, he's built the winner Uh, at both of his D2 stops, Notre Dame College and then Lenore Ryan. And I think he's going to be a great fit at Mercer. And I think adding him and, and, and Trey Lamb to the SoCon coaching fraternity is fantastic. Like, these are younger coaches. Jacobs is in his early, mid-40s. And Trey is not much older than is like weeks older than I am. So that really, I think, puts a, a, a boost into – this uh, in, into this conference in, in terms of football and in terms of getting some younger guys, getting some millennial coaches into the ranks in charge is going to do a lot of good for the SoCon, I think. SoCon football has a bit of a reputation nationally for being kind of... Stodgy's not the right word. Um, dusty, maybe. It's a little old school. Um, quaint, Maybe. But I think you get some younger coaches in here, and it, it, it adds a little bit of extra juice to things. And the more young coaches you get, go with you know Maurice Drayton, I think the better off the league's going to be in the long run.
1: Well, I think certainly
0: SoCon's been able to get national seeds lately. They've been able to at least
1: win and get to some games. They've still not quite got over the hump yet, um, although a little closer. Furman uh, did a little better than ETSU and Sanford did in their
0: big matchups. You need to control the line of scrimmage. Yeah, everybody can say, well, quarterback this tempo that if you don't control the line of scrimmage, none of it matters.
1: Or uh, have
0: any special teams that Furman apparently forgot how to do. That's it. Can't return. Yeah, can't can't cover kicks apparently. Yeah. yeah, there we go. You can cover kicks and be a national seed, but you can't tune a fish. A keep the go be chet